So I want you to think this morning, why are you here? Or maybe why are you watching online? You're here not because you decided to get up and not go sit in the deer stand this morning. You're here not because your car worked and got you here. Maybe your spouse convinced you to come or, or your son or your daughter said, hey, mom, dad, we've got to get to church this morning. Uh, those are kind of reasons you're here. But really, why are you here? Why do you have the faith that you have in Jesus Christ or the interest that you have in Jesus Christ? You are where you're at today because somebody showed up and was part of your faith story. Somebody was. Somebody encouraged you to come to church, get involved in a church. Maybe somebody led you to Christ when you were a child and you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you came to Christ later in life. But somewhere along the line in your story, somebody showed you Jesus. If you were to trace your faith story, what would it look like? Who's involved in it? Think of all those people. A friend of mine from school when I was 12 years old invited me to come to his youth group. And I went to the youth group, and the youth pastor said, hey, who wants to go on a missions trip? (laughs) And I didn't know anything, so I'm like, hey, that sounds like fun. I'll go on a missions trip. And I went. And on that missions trip, the youth pastor, Randy, said, hey, I want to introduce you to who Jesus is. And he did. And then he said, I want you to go spend some time to get to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And I did. And because Randy led me to Christ, I grew up knowing Jesus. And I became interested in who he was and passionate about who he was. And then I got to a point in my life where I'm like, I think I just want to be a pastor because I love Jesus so much. And this job just fits my calling that I feel like God's gifted me to do. And because Randy spoke to a 12-year-old boy and introduced Jesus to him, I've had the opportunity to lead a lot of people to Christ. Even just this week, I got a text message from a girl who, when she was in my youth group, was 12 years old. And I led her to Jesus, and I mentored her. She even came to live with my family and I for a while. And she went on to be a pastor. And she was on a youth retreat this weekend and sent me a picture of the very spot that she accepted Jesus up at Trout Lake Camp. And I thought, man, you just don't know how one conversation might lead thousands of people to Christ. Because what you share with somebody, maybe a neighbor or a coworker, may go on to be a pastor or an evangelist. They may lead somebody in their office to lead somebody who then pretty soon an entire workplace knows Jesus. You just don't know. We're all the result of that. And so the question I want you to wrestle with today is, does somebody else's faith story involve you? Think about that. Does somebody else who has a faith story, could they trace that to you? We've been going through a series called Bless, and what Bless is, is it's both a desired impact that we want to have on people, and it's also a step system that we take to do evangelism. It's a very easy way to introduce Jesus to people in, uh, in a social way that's not super awkward. And so in this method, what we, what we do is we bless people. We begin with prayer. Uh, we've sprinkled these sermons in and throughout our sermon series in the book of Acts. Uh, and so I get the challenge to bring the last one, which is the most difficult, but the most rewarding. And you're going to hear that. But we, we begin with prayer. We just pray for the people that we know might want to know Christ. And just sharing with a neighbor or a coworker, um, a friend, maybe a son or daughter or parent, it's just praying for somebody and saying, you know, God, I, I really want this person to, to know you and have faith in you. And then you listen. It's 
it's challenged today in, in today's day and age to find people just to listen. We have so many methods of communication that we, we fail to, to just be promoting all the time and just, just sometimes to listen and hear what people have to say, but really get to know their heart and what makes them tick and what's going on in, in, their, in their lives. Um, eat together, that's a fun one. One of my favorites is that we find people that we want to share life with and we just spend time just sharing a meal. I mean, this is, this is what we did today with communion. Sharing a meal was what Jesus did the night before he was crucified because there's something significant and theologically deep about sharing a meal with somebody. There's something personal and intimate about that. Serving in love means to do something and show up in someone's life to help them in some way. Maybe it's a shut-in neighbor who needs help with uh, raking their leaves this fall or shoveling snow, which hope that doesn't come for a while, but maybe they might need that. And the last one is share the story or share your story. And that's what we're going to talk about today. On that missions trip when I was 12, my youth pastor, he said, hey, I'm going to teach all of you guys how to share the gospel. And I was always been kind of, you know, optimistic, like, I'll go along with it. Like, yeah, let's try it. Let's, what do we do? So he shared with me how to share the gospel and our whole youth group. And he gave us tracts and we learned the four spiritual laws. We talked about the Romans road and, and, then he said, okay, now we're going to go and do it. <laughs> it's easy to sit in here in church on a Sunday morning and hear about sharing the story, but if I open those doors and said, all right, we're going to go into Alexandria today, and I'm going to have you share your spiritual story with every, anyone you can find at Fleet Farm, at Walmart, go to the coffee shops, hit up all the businesses in town, I'm going to have you share your story. All of a sudden, it gets a little more real. Well, my youth pastor got us all on the bus drove us. We were on a missions trip, the same missions trip that I accepted Christ on, by the way. We got on the bus. We went down to a really small town called Beattyville, Kentucky. Actually found somebody in the last service who went to the very Bible camp I accepted Christ at out in Beattyville. Kind of cool. But here we are in Beattyville, and the youth pastor opens the door, and there's a big music festival going on, and people were playing loud music, and there was just, it was a big party. And the youth pastor opened the door, and he said, all right, I want you to get out of this bus, and I want you to go and share Jesus with people. And then when we come back, we're all going to talk about what we did. And I was like, really? Like, you want me to go out there? And 12-year-old kid, like, I was, like, scared out of my mind. And so we, you know, he's like, okay, bring your friend with you and then go share Jesus with people. So I did. Uh, with a little reluctance, he literally had to get me out of the door physically. And I go into the streets of Beattyville, and I walk down the street, and I see this gentleman sitting underneath Lion's Break Shop. Remember it like it was yesterday. And he was the owner, Mr. Lyons, and I, and I went up to him, and the music was loud, and it was just, just a crazy scene. And, and I went up, and I said, you know, in my 12-year-old voice, I'm like, sir, can I, can I share Jesus with you? You know, just all nervous. And, and I don't think he really heard me, but he's like, yeah, come, whatever you want to tell me. So I, I went through the track with him, and we talked about Jesus, and I'm sure I messed the whole thing up. But he heard my heart. Um, I don't recommend doing what I, I did in that moment. I actually gave him my home address. I uh, don't recommend doing that. 12 years old, not too bright at that point in my life. And, uh, and I, I said, well, why do you want? He's like, I just want to send you something in the mail. And so I, so I did. And, uh, and before I even got home, this man had written a letter to my parents about how overwhelmed he was that a 12-year-old had the courage to come up and share Christ with him. And I still have that letter to this day. I think about that a lot. What does it mean to share the story? Does it mean just randomly going out on the street and witnessing to people? It, it could. But what does it mean to share the story? 
What does it mean to be part of somebody's faith journey that they heard from you something that got them interested in knowing the Savior of the world? What does that look like? All the other letters are easy to do, uh, praying, listening, eating, uh, serving. But when it gets to sharing the story, notably, this is one of the more challenging steps to take when it gets to the part where you share Jesus with somebody. But it is of most importance because you could live your life as a Christian really well. Serve people, have people over for supper, you could listen. But if you fail to share about Jesus, then all you've ever done is just be kind to people and they don't understand what that means. You see, at some point, somebody had to tell you or invite you or bring you or to hear the gospel message. And that's why you're here today. Jesus comes into the story at some point. And so we're gonna look at a, a story in scripture in John chapter four, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter four. We're gonna look at an example that Jesus was with the woman at the well. And it really means knowing three specific stories, and I'll get into that, and you'll see that in a moment. But who knows? God just might use you after today to lead hundreds, if not thousands, of people to Christ. You may ask, well, Pastor Dave, how would I do that? Because you shared with one person who went on to share with one person, and exponentially, that list grows. So looking at John chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Pause there for a second. Um, this always fascinates me because, geographically speaking, it wasn't a necessity for Jesus to go through Samaria. There was a well-known path to the east of the Jordan that all the, the Jews went because they didn't want to connect at all, make any contact with Samaritans. So he didn't have to, but in a sense, he had to because there was a mission that he was on. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, as tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Uh, kind of a famous well, uh, currently in, in, in Palestinian land, and this was a place where, this is actually the only time a well is mentioned in the New Testament. It's an 1,800-year-old well by this point in time, and it's just kind of crazy how Jesus has this divine appointment now with this woman. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. There's a lot going on that I don't have time to talk about, but I'll give you the nutshell version of it. When Assyria took the northern 10 tribes of Israel captive, what they would do is they would relocate other people into the places they conquered. So they would take some captives out and they'd bring other people in. So then the land wasn't filled with all the original inhabitants. It was like new people. So all these people who worshiped other gods came and were settled in the area of Samaria when Assyria took them. And they worshiped other gods, but they also wanted to respect the God of Israel because they saw what the God of Israel did and could do. So they kind of combined worshiping idols with combined with worshiping the God Yahweh of Israel. And so you have a group of people 
who were not true blood Jewish people. They were not truly, truly religiously following just Christ. And so all these people, political, like religious tensions kind of came up. And so now you have present day where the Jews were like, um, they're not quite Jews. They're like half. Like some of them worship, but some of them don't. They're not truly there. And so there was this tension. Politically, religiously, it was, it was a big deal. And so that's one of the reasons why they didn't go through Samaria. So Jesus, in verse 10, he answered her and he said this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. There's just this beautiful moment here where they're both having a separate conversation. The woman's thinking, okay, politically, she's thinking religiously, she's thinking physical water. Jesus is thinking this woman needs to know who I am, and who the Father is. So they both have different things in mind, and they're talking in the same conversation, but about two totally different things. And he shared the story with her. What does it mean to share the story? Sharing the story requires you to know three specific storylines, okay? Three different stories that you need to know. And if you can walk out of here remembering these, which you should, because one of them is very personal to you, then you'll be able to share the story. The first one is to know your story, to know your own story. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon, you're all here for a reason today. You came because you have a story that God showed up in your life through somebody else at some point in time, and because of that, you are where you're sitting today. In confirmation class here at Alexandria Covenant for the eighth graders, what we do uh, is we bring the kids through and then they basically write out their story at the end of their confirmation time, right? Who's God? Who is, who is God in their lives? What does that look like? And it's just this beautiful time where they come and they share and we have a, a night where they share all their testimonies and it's, it's a really neat thing to hear their stories, if you've ever been through immersion baptism here with me at Alexandria Covenant or even prior to me, one of the practices when we do adult immersion baptism is that we have the adults stand up and share their story. And I know just from experience that that is not the most comfortable thing for a lot of people, but I've at least asked people to, to answer three questions. And these, if you can answer them, it's how you really identify what your story is. It's, where was my life before Jesus? Who was I before I met Christ? What did that look like? What, did, what kinds of things did I do or feel or know? And if you grew up in a Christian home and you don't remember a lot before then, that's fantastic. That's your story. It's not better or worse than anybody else. It's just how God gave you a story. The second part is when did you meet Jesus, right? When did you meet Jesus? I told you a little bit about my story when I was 12, and that youth pastor, Randy, led me to Christ. And because of that, I'm here today. You have a moment where you met Christ. And the last part is really just knowing, what does my life look like now? Who am I now differently because I know Jesus in a way I didn't know before? Those are the movements of a story. And I can tell you that because this last step is so hard, it's a challenge to share your story sometimes because we like to do a couple things. We like to compare our stories to other people and say, well, you know, they almost died in this experience or they had this dream or, or, or they have this crazy story and so their story's better than mine so we're just gonna let them share the story. <laughs> Wrong, that's not how that works. Or, or you doubt, you know, right? I can't, I can't say things well. If God could use 12-year-old me to share the story on the street in Beattyville, Kentucky, during a street fest when everyone was drinking heavily, listening to music, and this man was compelled enough to write home to my parents, God can use anybody <laughs> to share the story. 
Because God uses us in powerful ways. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As though God were making his appeal through us. Circle, underline, and highlight that in your Bible. You, every single person in this room, are God's appeal to the world about who Jesus is. That's who you are. That's your identity in Christ, is you are a physical, living, walking, breathing, talking, employee, son, daughter, husband, mother, father. You're walking around as an appeal of God's mercy to the world. That if you're made in the image of Christ, Genesis 1.27, then that's what you are. You represent God to everyone you come in contact with. That word ambassador uh, actually comes from a Greek word uh, that they use the same root Greek word to mean council or elder or leadership team like we have at church. All of you sit on the board for God. That you all sit in in a position to be an ambassador somebody who is sharing the gospel with others. All of us are. This isn't an optional thing. This is how God made us. Our lives tell a story to other people. No matter what your story is, God can use it. And I want you to get, not to get hung up on what your story is, but who your story is pointing to. And this is where it can get kind of tricky because we want to tell our story and the temptation, and, and I struggle with this too as a pastor, anytime I bring in an analogy up front, like I use an analogy from my own life because I want people to see what the text is trying to teach and how I've understood that and communicate it well. What I don't want you to think when I tell these stories is, wow, Pastor Dave's got some good stories. <laughs> I do have some fun stories and I like to tell them, but the point isn't my story. The point is always Jesus, right? It's always Christ. It has to be him because my story has no power unless it's connected to the story. That's where it's real. The second story that you need to know is their story. You need to know their story. Jesus knew this woman's story. Uh, Later on in John 4, they're having this dialogue, and Jesus, going back and forth with this woman, makes a couple of comments about this woman's marital status. (laughs) Well, yeah, you're going to go tell your husband, but what about the other five men that you've been married to as well? And he does it kind of subtly, but he reveals to the woman that he knows about what she's been through. And then he presents himself as a Messiah. It had to have just been a really powerful moment that this woman, after hearing Jesus basically out her about her, her issues in life, doesn't condemn her in that moment. Oh no, he still continues to talk to her. He still loves on her. And if you're this woman in this moment, you're probably thinking, why is this guy spending his time with me if he knows all this dirt on me? But he loved her and he shared who he was so that she could be connected to the father. It was just a beautiful moment of connection that happened right then and there. And by the way, Jesus, he got into all kinds of stuff. He got into religion, He got into politics. He got into all kinds of stuff with this woman. Just being there was a religious and political statement. Now, as a side note, I know that we're going to be voting on Tuesday. And right now, there's a lot of storylines out there. It is a great temptation that when we live in this world to think that we are Americans first and kingdom inhabitants of the heaven that God's created for us second. The truth is that we belong to the kingdom of God first. Now, 
by all means, we should use the freedom and the, of, of religion that we have in this country to, to vote and to share our stories and to tell those things. But if we elevate our politics over our kingdom status, that's when it gets to be a big issue, right? That if we tell the story of what we want, believe should be voted in and voted for, what this looks like, if that becomes more of the gospel than Jesus Christ becomes the gospel, then that's a real issue, because I don't care which candidate gets into office. I mean, I have people I want to, but none of them are going to save people. None of them will. Only Jesus does that. And of course, we want to vote for people that line up with our, our values according to scripture. But the truth is, people need Christ more than they need America. And I love America, and I love what our country represents. And I love that we have a chance to express ourselves religiously. God has blessed us tremendously. So don't get hung up on things like politics and religion and, and get, give people the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the gospel that saves. Someday we'll have a new heaven and new earth as it talks about the end of Revelation and Jesus will be king. He will and he will rule. Knowing their story in Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, there's a really cool thing that Paul does here uh, about knowing the story of the people of Athens, Greece. So Paul, he goes into this place where they all have debates about religion and they talk about ideas and philosophy. And he's kind of standing around, it's called the Oropagus or Mars Hill. And he's standing around, it's, a, it's an outdoor limestone amphitheater. And in this moment, as Paul is sharing all this stuff, he's walking around and making a few observations. And so here we are in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious. Uh, just a time out here. They had hundreds of idols sitting out all over the place. And so Paul is walking around. He's looking at all these idols. And he doesn't, he doesn't condemn them. He just says, I see that you guys are very religious people. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you, are ignorant, so, so you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So Paul does this really neat thing where he says, hey, I see all these idols that you have all over the place, and I want to tell you about this one idol right here. And then he shares the gospel. You see, Paul went in there, and he got to know them first. He got to know who they were, what they worshiped, what they were like, and he approached them on, on their terms in their life. And he spent time talking about them. You know, we can't all be like Jesus and know everybody's story the same way that he knew the women at the well, but we can make observations. We can see things that our neighbors do and say, people, our coworkers, um, our family members. We know things about their lives enough so that we can say, well, you know, the way that you served for this work thing, I, that was really great. You know what? You'd make a great Christian. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. Very natural connections to everyday life when we know their story. The last story that you got to know, and this is a really important story, is know God's story. We have to know God's story. So we have to know our story. We have to know somebody else's story. And we have to know God's story. Uh, this is the one uh, that will be very candid about this. Many people who talk to me say, hey, I'm just not knowledgeable. Like, you're a pastor, so you can share the gospel better. <laughs> it's wrong, by the way. You can share it better because you'd have all these knowledgeable things. Well, when I was 12 years old, there's <laughs> proof that God can even use somebody who was a brand new convert to Christ on that very missions trip. And my youth pastor sent me out to share the gospel. And this man was so moved by it. 
It's not about who you are, it's about who God is. And if you know God's story enough to share it, then you can do so really well. This verse should be very familiar to all of you here. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but shall have eternal life. And it goes on in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God's story is really simple. We had a problem. We had sin. We still have sin. This world's messed up but we know Jesus is coming again. God sent Jesus in order to first introduce the gospel. That God loved us and sent somebody himself through the person of Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin. And he did that for us, not to condemn us, but to save us. And that's the Romans road. If you can remember a couple of these verses, um, it's a really easy way to think about save, giving somebody the language to think about how do, you, how do I share the gospel with somebody? And it's really simply this, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God that we all have sin and sin's a problem. <laughs> we have other problems too, but our biggest problem is our sin because it separated us from God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, sin is kind of funny because even when Adam and Eve were in the garden and, and the serpent said to them, Well, God, did God say you're going to die? You won't surely die. But do you know what died immediately? Their relationship with God. Immediately, they, they were separated from God. Sin has consequences in marriage and families. It has consequences, consequences in the workplace and countries all over. When you look at all the, the tension that comes up this next week because of our political climate, that's because of sin. Because sin causes conflict. It causes death to all sorts of things. And that's what the wage is. But the good news is, in Romans 10, 9, if you declare with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. It's about putting Jesus in his proper place, saying, you are my leader. Your kingdom is really where I'm a citizen of. That's whom I'm going to follow. And I believe that God raised you from the dead, Jesus, and I'm going to be with you someday when you come back. It's the sinner's prayer. I was on uh, a youth retreat. I volunteer in the middle school ministry here. I love the middle school age, um, probably because God reached out to me when I was in middle school and connected with me. And we were sitting around with, with 12-year-old boys uh, in my small group, and one of them asked me this question. Pastor Dave, if I was going to like, ask my friend about wanting to follow Jesus and, and I, they, I wanted to pray with them, like, what words do I use? He, he wanted to know how to pray with someone to receive Christ. And at that moment, I was just like, I was so shocked to hear that question. It just floored me. I was like, wow, what a beautiful question. What words do you use? It's not about the words. It's about the heart. In your heart, if you believe that Jesus is the Lord, meaning he is, he is who leads my life, not my desires, not myself, not anybody else, but Jesus leads my life. It's an agreement with that. And also an agreement with a, what God did what he said he would do when he died on the cross and he rose him three days later. And in your heart, which whatever words you use to articulate that, that is how somebody becomes safe, is an agreement with that in their heart. But I want to finish with the rest of the story. So this is John chapter 4. Look down at verse 39. 
This is really important to consider what happened after Jesus had this interaction with the woman at the well. So verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two more days, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. It is as easy as that. If you have had any interaction with God, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, and you've had that connection point, going and sharing that with somebody is how the story continues. That's what this looks like. That's all this woman did is she had one meeting with Jesus, and then she went and she told them exactly what happened. And as a result of that, an entire village came to know Jesus. You guys all have a village. All of you do. You come from a family. (laughs) You're not an accident. You have some place you work, or maybe you're retired, or maybe you're schooled age, or you have a village. You have people around you. Are you taking what you know about Jesus and bringing it back to your people? Because your village may get to know Christ because of one conversation that you had when you shared the story. Sharing the gospel means being intentional to know and to discuss the power of God through the story of life. And it's really as simple as that is to know who God is and to share him with others. Just your experience of that. And let God take care of the result because that's his job. Is he's the one who moves people. We just share our story. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this interaction that that happened with Jesus and the woman at the well and how we can read about that. God, and just the power that one woman who went back to tell her entire village exactly what happened in this encounter, drew an entire group of people to know and become followers of you. Lord, I pray that we would be those people. God, that whatever stories we have, that you would use them in powerful ways to lead others to Christ. Because we know, God, that this world is about way more than what we physically see and know. It's about where you are, Jesus, and where we will be with you someday. We pray these things in your name. Amen.